never underestimate the power of internal dialogue. Never underestimate the power of what you say to yourself. Quick, quick tip, rule of thumb, if you wouldn't say it to a friend, don't say it to yourself. Welcome to the Dreaming Out Loud family where young entrepreneurs come to get inspired, learn the tips, tricks, and attitude of what it takes to live their dream life. I'm your host, Morgan Nelson. Each week, I'm going to bring you the most epic guests to share their stories and wisdom to help you expand your mind of what's truly possible in your world. Okay, today's guest is a seven-figure entrepreneur, international speaker, NLP, master practitioner, and a leading peak performance coach. Before all of his accolades, he had no motivation, no clarity, no direction in his life at all. He experienced a terror attack and and the unfortunate loss of his father all within the same year. But despite that, he continued to evolve and become the man that he is today, coaching celebrities and thousands of other people all around the world to live more extraordinary lives, destroy their fears, and become qualified coaches themselves. So please help me welcome the man that went from being a postman to now the co-founder of a seven-figure coaching company called The Coaching Masters, Mr. Liam James Collins. Morgan, how's things, mate? Thank you for having me on the Dreaming Out Loud podcast. And I know, we, just because we were chatting before, and I love what you said when you said, sometimes I like to get guests on and I find out more about the guest as we do the podcast. So I'm hoping I'm going to be able to deliver and, uh, and tell you some good stories at the same time. Man, I'm so excited, even just from your bio and, you know, like I'm, I'm close with Johnny and me and Johnny have been chatting and he's just like, man, you can have so much fun. So I'm pumped, man. And just, just your energy. I'm, I'm, I'm so fired up as well. So I'm, I'm glad we can make this happen. No, mate. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate you reaching out to us. And yeah, and as you mentioned, you know, you know, my business partner, Johnny Mitchell, and I think Johnny's been on the podcast yes, as well. We had Johnny on one of the, one of the first ones or actually a few ago. I forget. <laughs> nice nice he's got a cool story you know and uh, yeah we're working together now he's over in bali i'm here you know at my home in london you're over in australia mate it's a fucking it's a weird time isn't it it's, it's a weird time. <laughs> i love it dude let's let's dive straight into this you were so you're 30 years old now seven figure entrepreneur traveling around the world you know international speaker coach like you're, you're truly and i've seen what you guys are doing with the coaching masters we're gonna chat about that later but you were a postman not long ago how did this all come about? I was, that was my full-time job, right? I was delivering the post in an area in London called Richmond. And I'll tell you how that came about, right? Before I was a postman, I was an actor. So when I was younger, and I, and I wasn't even that young, to be honest. Like when I was 19, I literally woke up one day and I thought, you know what I think I'd be really good at? I think I'd be a really good actor. I'd, I'd never, ever acted a day in my life. I never knew anyone that was an actor. No one in my family was an actor. And I just woke up after having done a little bit of traveling, after having surfed a little bit as well, done a little bit of skiing, snowboarding. And I was just like, I want to be an actor. And I think the reason for that was because I was always one of those kids that I wanted to be a, a fucking astronaut, a cowboy, a police officer, a fireman. I was like, how do, I want to be a pirate. How do I do it all? And I was like, maybe if I become an actor. So I sort of walked down to my local amateur theatre and I was like, look, my name's Liam. I've never done this before, but I think I could be quite good. The next week I was auditioning for a play. And then a week after that I was rehearsing. And a couple of months after that I was doing my first play. And my first ever performance was in front of seven people, two of which was my mum and my sister. And I just felt like a, a superstar. I felt like a celebrity because I was taking a bow. And that just took me off on this incredible journey into acting. And I went to drama school and I ended up doing a lot of professional theatre. I did a lot of films. I did a lot of television. And, uh, and it was fucking insane because I thought this is it. I found my thing. Like my career is just going to go up and up and up and up and up. I ended up on one of the fucking biggest movies in the world, which I'll tell you about later. But it then hit a point where it just stopped. It just completely stopped. The phone stopped ringing. My agent stopped ringing. Uh, me and my wife, uh, my, well, my girlfriend, uh, yeah, my girlfriend at the time, hadn't even been engaged at that point, obviously not married. We moved into this really gorgeous, like central London apartment. It, the, the rent was really high. It was expensive. And I just got to the point where I was like, fuck, if I'm not acting, I'm not eating. So all of a sudden it just, I, I fell out of love with it. I wasn't getting any more auditions. When I did get an audition, I was a bit desperate because it was like I needed the job. And so I literally got to a point where I was like, what job can I do 
where I can still get to auditions and just about pay my rent. And I thought, I'll be a postman. I'll be a mailman. Because at least, like, I start first thing in the morning, and then as long as my auditions are after 12 o'clock, I can go to the auditions. So I went to an interview. I got a job as a postman. And the whole time I was like, right, it's just temporary. It's just temporary. And then a month goes by, six months go by, a year goes by, two years go by. And I'm like, fuck, no, this wasn't the plan. This wasn't the plan. So that was my full-time job in the end. I was, I was a postman just day after day after day after day. And the thing is, I respect the job. I respect the, the, the career, of course. They're absolutely essential, the postman. And the people I worked with were fucking awesome. They were amazing. But I started to properly deteriorate. Like my mindset was deteriorating. My ambition was deteriorating. My direction was completely nil at that point. I felt direction. I did not know what to do. Luckily, I discovered coaching. But yeah, mate, when I was a postman, I was like just in this kind of vortex of what am I going to do now? I just didn't see any form of direction for myself. My motivation was completely dead. Yeah. So then how, how did you get into all the coaching and stuff? And like, I, mean, I can, I can completely relate to all that as well. Like, like I used to be a carpenter and it's almost so like, you just, it's so easy to fall into that. Um, you know, like you, you're doing a job and next minute it's a year later and it's two years later and then it just becomes the new normal. And I'm going to assume some kind of radical kind of shift happened. What happened? Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, you're absolutely right. So it's really funny as well. Cause well, in in uh, storytelling, like they always talk about the the hero's journey yeah. in storytelling, right? And I'm sure you've come across this, Morgan. It's like you know you're you're doing really well, you're doing really great, and then there's this big crash, and then all of a sudden you do really well, and you do even better than what you were doing before. And that's my life has kind of fit that story so much because it was like doing really well with acting, really well, you're doing really good movies, bang, total crash, like yeah, and then became a postman, lost direction. And then we're obviously doing really well with coaching. But to answer your question, how I got into it, it's really interesting because my mum, for the last 15 years, has run an academy where she teaches people how to be coaches. And you know what? I just took no interest in it whatsoever because, like, no young man really sort of intends on doing what his mum does. Like, uh, for me, it was, oh, that's cool. That's what my mum does. It's quite interesting. Yeah, I understand it but it's what my mum does. And little did I know, like she was introducing me to it like step by step by step. She took me to see Tony Robbins when I was 16 years old, just because she wanted someone to go with. And I didn't know back then I was like absorbing all of this information. Mm. And I did her very first NLP practitioner course. So I was studying neuro-linguistic program when I was 16 because she was teaching it and she just wanted bums on seats. But I was absorbing all this information and I didn't realize how valuable it was at the time. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. But, you know, that's what my mum does. I'm not really that interested. Until eventually I got to the point where I was sitting around the dinner table and I said to my mum, look, all I want is two things. I want to be able to work for myself, pick where I work, how I work, when I work. I want to be my own boss. And secondly, I want to help people. And she was just like, Liam, it's staring you right in the face. You could be a fantastic coach. You already know the training. You know NLP. You've got the right profile for it. You've got the right image for it. You could be a great coach. And literally, I I then just hit the ground running. I was like, that's it. I've made the decision. I'm going to restudy all of my coaching stuff. I'm going to regain my qualifications. I'm going to regain all of my knowledge. And then I'm going to start seeing coaching clients. And I started off really, really small, like just one client and then two clients. I was, I was helping them build confidence. I was helping them eliminate anxiety, eliminate depression. And then it just grew and grew and grew through struggle until it got to the point where I was qualifying other people as coaches. And then I met my business partner, Lewis Raymond Taylor, who does the exact same thing. And we just started working together. We formed the coaching masters and it's just blown up ever since then. So it's a proper like hero's journey mm. doing really well big crash doing really well and hopefully not a no second crash. not a second big <laughs> no no more crashing <laughs> i love no that that's uh that's really interesting so because um what what do you think is so you obviously do a lot of coaching with people right what what are a few of the the most common things you come across in people 
that their blockages, their doubts, their fears. What what's the most kind of like two or three common things that you would yeah. coach someone through to tap into more of their potential? Or, you know, the people that are kind of, you know, they've got the dream, they want to do more. Like like what what are these common things you see in people and, and how do you kind of help them break through them or overcome it? Love that question, right? And that is significant because it's something that I can guarantee everyone can relate to on some level. The two big boys, right? The two biggest ones. Every single person I've ever coached, regardless of what I'm coaching them around, they have experienced both of these things or at least one of two of these things at some point in their life and it's held them back. First is some form of a lack of confidence. Mm. Every single client I've ever had They've come to me because they're like, you know what? I feel very underappreciated in my job and I've got a lack of confidence. I've got a really bad relationship with my partner and I've got a lack of confidence. It almost seemed like there was this common thread that there was some form of lack of confidence that near enough every one of my clients had. The second thing was being concerned about the viewpoints of other people. And that being yeah. something that really held them back. You know what? I really want to do this, but I don't think my family would approve. I don't think my colleagues would approve. I don't think fucking Timmy, who I went to school with 15 years ago on Facebook, I think he's going to give me some hate. So like those, those, that, those shackles that people have where they feel shackled to the opinions and the viewpoints and possibly the, what they perceive as hate of other people, you stack that on top of a lack of confidence and people find themselves completely paralyzed, just stuck. Mm. They have these hopes, these dreams, these desires, and it's like they can't even begin to chase them because those two things are just overpowering their mindset. So lack of confidence and then fear of what other people are going to think? Is that what you'd say? Big time, time, mate. Like Those two things end up being such a catalyst for for pain, for anger for being feeling stuck and feeling trapped yeah so how how can someone start to build better confidence in themselves and and break that because i like i'm 20 i'm about to turn 27 and one thing like i do a lot of speaking like public speaking and stuff now and what really held me back for so long and even starting this right and and doing so many things was my my huge kind of fear was still what are people gonna think of me and it was just kind of like a line, like it was honestly like not even longer, maybe a year ago, a year and a half ago. And up until then, I just pushed through it going, you know, I don't, you know, but then I just kind of woke up and was like, I don't give a fuck about them anymore. <laughs> like, you know, so like I always tell people like, if you like, what's one thing I could tell my 18 year old self? It's like, just stop caring what people think earlier. You know, you, sometimes you it's not that easy. As such a beautiful example of what it is. I'm about to relay, right? So you ask the question, how can someone gain more confidence? Yeah. There's three ways in which confidence is created, right? Three ways. It's your inner dialogue, i.e. what do you say to yourself? And mm. you have just given a beautiful example of that. What you were saying to yourself was, I wonder what people are going to think of me. You change that inner dialogue to, I don't give a fuck what people think of me. I'm going to do it anyway. Never underestimate the power of internal dialogue. Never underestimate the power of what you say to yourself. Quick, quick tip, rule of thumb. If you wouldn't say it to a friend, don't say it to yourself. If your friend comes to you and is like, I'm thinking about starting a podcast, you wouldn't say to them, really? Are you sure about that? What will people think? Won't they think that you're a loser? Won't they think you're going to fail? Aren't they going to think that this and that and this and that? You wouldn't say that to your friend. You would say to your friend, go for it, mate. I think you're going to smash it. You'd be encouraging to your friend. You'd tell them whatever they need to hear to go and do that thing that they want to do. Why do we not do that with ourselves? It's absolutely crazy. So if you wouldn't say it to a friend, don't say it to yourself. Your inner dialogue is golden. It's golden. And you believe yourself. That's another thing. What you say to yourself, you will believe. Eventually, even if you need to repeat it, Hence, affirmations. So the first one's internal dialogue. If you want to feel more confident, take control of that internal dialogue. Take control over what you say to yourself. The second thing is your imagination. 
or your thoughts, right? What you think about. Now, the chances are, if somebody's feeling really unconfident about a certain thing, just give you a random example. Let's say somebody um, has a, ha they have to deliver a speech and they feel really unconfident about delivering this speech. The chances are, the reason they're feeling unconfident is because their internal dialogue is saying, oh my God, I'm really nervous. Oh fuck, what if I fuck up? What if everyone laughs at me? What if people walk out the room? What if this happens? What if that's ha that happens? And their imagination then follows that and they start picturing all of the things that could go wrong. They start imagining people yawning and being bored or laughing or walking out of the room. So then those two affect the third thing, which is your physiology, your body. Your body will adopt an unconfident position, an unconfident physiology. You'll probably close in on yourself. You'll, 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 you'll try to protect yourself. Your chin will go down. I don't, have, you, have you ever seen there's this fucking awesome little two-second clip that circles around Instagram every now and again? And it's all about, and it says, like, these are the only type of friends I want in my life. And there's this basketball player. And he's obviously like Mr. Shot or something and he drops his chin and the other player just quickly passes by him and lifts his chin up, right? Yeah. Like a gorgeous little bit of film that. And what he's doing is he's changing his friend's physiology mm -hmm. because if you change your physiology, you change what your body's doing, it will affect what you're thinking and what you're feeling and what you're saying to yourself. It's all three of those things, internal dialogue, imagination and physiology, i.e. what you do with your body. Those are the three catalysts for confidence because they're also the three catalysts for any form of state. If you want to be in a state of confidence, a state of forgiveness, a state of joy, a state of exhilaration, whatever state you want to be in, you need to think what are the, what, what those three things, my internal dialogue, my thoughts and my body posture what do I need to do with those three things in order to experience that state that I want to experience? If you nail that, mate, if you nail that process, you can feel how you want to feel nine times out of 10. That's incredible. And is that like, is this something that people, once you tick these three things, do you stay in confidence all the time or do you have moments where, you fall out of it or you, your emotions change or is that something that kind of happens? And if so, how does someone maintain it more often than, than not? That will 100% happen because we're humans. We're human beings, right? It cannot and it will not be maintained all the time. So don't ever, ever, ever beat yourself up. If, you're, if you logically know this stuff and you practice it, and one day you wake up and you feel a bit down or you don't feel confident or you feel a bit anxious or you whatever, like you feel a negative emotion you don't want to be feeling. The first thing I would say in that instance as a coach is do not beat yourself up about that. You're a human being with complex emotions and you can feel all sorts of emotions and find yourself in all sorts of states for all sorts of reasons. The key isn't to try to stop that from happening. The key is to not let yourself live inside that. That's the difference. We, me included, I experience states of feeling down, feeling anxious, feeling worried, you know, just generally maybe not feeling that good about myself. Or there are times where I can feel really unconfident. The difference is, is what I'll do is I'll recognize it. I'll understand it. I'll respect it. I'll still maybe ask myself some questions around why do I feel this way? What has happened in order for me to feel this way? Because it's never just random. Then make the effort to try to change it. I'll make the effort to try to change my state. I'll change my physiology. If I find myself in a state of unconfidence, the chances are my body is reflecting that. And I think, what does my body do when I'm really confident? Well, actually, my chest is out, my arms are back, my chin's up. Even if it feels false in that moment, I will adopt that body posture. Because that is my body posture of confidence. That's my body posture of the state I want to feel. I'll change what I think about. I change what I say to myself. And it might take some time. It's like training a muscle. It takes time. Mm. But it's worth doing. Same like training a muscle. It's worth doing. And over time, you eventually allow yourself to change your state quicker and more effectively. And you don't live inside this. Some, I know people that literally live inside a negative state. They live inside negative thoughts. And for them, the idea of changing that is so out, so out of their reach, they don't even try. 
But honestly, mate, those three things, mm. internal dialogue, your thoughts and your body posture, they can change your state 100% of the time. I love that. So if, if you found yourself in a state where you are anxious, sad, something like that, what would be the first few things? Are they in that order? Is the internal dialogue first? You know, is it in that order? What would be some things to shift and actually change that like radically? That is a brilliant question, right? That is such a good question because there is an answer to that. The quickest and most radical way of changing your state from one state that you don't want to be in to a state that you do want to be in, the first step is recognizing what state you're currently in. So you're like, okay, if I really think about it, if I really feel it, this is a state of anxiousness and I don't want that. Step number two, make a decision on what state you do want to be in. Because a big trap a lot of people fall into is they say, I don't want to feel anxious. That's the equivalent of saying, don't think about a red balloon. Just because I've put the word don't in front of it doesn't mean anything, right? You're going to think about that thing. So I don't want to feel anxious is useless. You want to be able to say, I do want to feel joyful, for instance. Step number three, this is the radical change bit. Change your body posture first. That is the first thing you change because of something called biofeedback, right? If you make the decision, you know what? Actually, I want to feel joyful. And currently I don't, but I want to feel joyful. What does my body do? How does my body react when I am joyful? Okay, well, actually, I become a lot lighter on my feet. I move around a lot. I'm probably a bit more excitable. Do that first. Because if you do that first, what that does is your, everything that's going on inside your body, which is fucking super intelligent, all of the nerves, all of the fucking intelligence that's going on, sends messages like right up to your brain. And he's like, oh, by the way, we're, we're feeling good now, just to let mm. you know. You better catch up because obviously we're feeling good. We're jumping around the room. We're dancing about. We're excitable. We're light on our feet. So wake up, brain. Hurry up. We're feeling good now. It will allow your thoughts and your internal dialogue to start changing slightly then it will be easier for you to change your thoughts, to change your internal dialogue if you start with the body, to start with your body first. Start with your body. I love that. Um, yeah, every single morning I like, I just shit, like change my body like straight away. Like, so I'll put on headphones or like just blast the music and I just freaking dance. I just like moving my body. Um, yeah. So that, that's, that's such an interesting thing. Um, I love that. Okay, interesting question. We're talking about the internal dialogue, right? Do you ever find people get attached to the identity they've created? So let's say, for example, you know, they're, they're an anxious person most of the time. And yes, now after hearing this, they've got the knowledge. They, can, they know they can shift up their physiology. They can jump. They can make a radical movement, change how they're thinking. They know they can do this. Do you ever find people get caught in that? choosing not to do it because they like in a sick way, they kind of enjoy feeling that way. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, do you find people get attached to who they, the bad part of who they are? 100%. And the biggest, the most significant word you've used there is identity. Yeah. That is a really significant word because people do, I tell you a mistake that most people make, right? And this is absolutely no judgment because this is all of us. We've all made this mistake, me included. People make the mistake of thinking that their behavior and their feelings are their identity. And what I mean by that is if somebody experiences anxiety more often than what they would like, they will say, I am, right, which is the biggest identity statement in the world, mm. I am an anxious person. Instead of softening the blow by saying, I experience anxiety more than what I would like. Or every so often, I feel anxious. People go right up to the top and they're like, I am. In the same way that people say, I am a smoker, right? Mm. I am a drinker. I, even people with their careers, of course, I do it even. I am a coach. People do it with their feelings. I am an anxious person. I am a depressed person. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, 
a night owl. You hear people say stuff like that. We attach these identity statements to ourselves all the time. And a lot of the time, mate, they can be so damaging. Because like you said, people almost have this sort of sick attachment to it, where it's like, if they feel like they identify so strongly with a certain negative emotion, they will actually defend that mm. negative emotion. Really, And I'll tell you why they defend it, because they believe that to be true. And people will die for their beliefs. Beliefs are so strong. We've seen it out there in the big wide world. Beliefs are so strong that people die for their beliefs. But this is the fucking thing. Regardless, regardless of how strong your beliefs are, your beliefs and my beliefs and everybody else's beliefs, as, as hard as this might be to hear, are very strongly held opinions. That's what they are. They're very strongly held opinions. They're not fact. If it was a fact, it'd be called a fact. But it's not. It's called a belief. I believe this to be true. Now, that doesn't mean it stops being real for, a, for an individual, for a person, but it can at least start to soften the blow. If there's anyone listening to this that thinks, well, I do identify with like being, an, I, I am an anxious person, I am a depressed person. My, some people have really damaging identity statements, mm. like, oh, because of what's been said to me throughout my life, I'm a loser. Do you know what I mean? They look at other people, well, I could never do that. It's just not true. It's not your identity your behavior, your emotions, your feelings, they're not who you are. They're just a part of who you are right now in this moment. And they can be changed. We are all like clay, right? Mm. We can be molded. Our thoughts, our feelings, our, emo our emotions, our beliefs, our identity, it can all be molded. There was once upon a time where I'd say, I am a postman. And now I could say I am a seven-figure business owner. If I, if I kept that identity and I was like, well, I am a postman, that's just who I am, then I'd still be doing that because that would be my belief. So, so to answer your question, Morgan, yes, like people can really latch onto it. But the first step of getting away from that is just understanding it's not your identity. It's just the belief that you have. And because it's a belief, it's a strongly held opinion and opinions can be changed. Mm. And then it all comes back to that, the confidence, like triad you were talking about, the internal dialogue, it just kind of, you know, justifies. It's like there's three things I, I eliminate from my life is blaming, complaining, and justifying. Mm. I just don't do it, uh, you know, because then the justifying one, you know, it makes a lot of sense to me as of late because it's like cause for things like that, it's like if you justify, you're kind of defending what used to be. Uh, and or you maybe you're defending what isn't right now, you know, and it's, it's such an interesting thing that. Um, so what I'd love to hear, so you experienced a terror attack. I'd love to hear what this was because um, uh, I'm assuming that there would have been massive amounts of trauma from that, which would have carried through. You would have had limiting beliefs. You would, you, you would have had these things kind of stack up against you. And as you're going through your own process of, you're creating a new identity i'm sure had you know because so many people go through trauma different uh kinds of trauma right and that can kind of carry through to their present and tie into them going well well that's why i have anxiety because this happened or how can someone first i'd love to hear the story and then how did you use it to kind of break that identity of whatever um, do you know what I'm trying to say? I don't even know if this is making sense. <laughs> Honestly, mate, making perfect, perfect, perfect sense. And I can tell you right now, I'll tell you the story of the attack. And um, my coaching training has got me through the attack and other huge adversities in my life to allow me to thrive afterwards because I do what I train in right at the moment at the coaching masters we qualify and accredit people as coaches we teach them coaching skills the coaching skills that I teach I do on a daily basis because of personal reasons personal adversities and this is one of them right and I feel like without the coaching training that I've had this is why I encourage everybody to do coaching training even if their intention isn't to become a professional coach learn the trainings in order to be able to just become a better person because it's got me through it, like hands down. So the story is, me and my wife, we lived in this little tiny little apartment in the middle of a, an area in London called Borough Market, right? It's a gorgeous market, the oldest market in Britain. When we moved in, it was celebrating its 1,000th year anniversary. It hadn't wow. stopped for 
operating for a thousand years. So it's this gorgeous hustling and bustling. It's a food market. Everybody's there drinking, having a good time. Just it is such a feel good place. And we lived there for five years, right? And I absolutely loved every single minute of it. So we're above this pub, right? So there's a pub here and we're literally the first floor above the pub. Just this sort of paper thin floor that separates us and the pub, which was probably set up in like the 1960s. And you can hear everything that's going down there. And a lot of people would think that's not a good thing. I loved it. I just loved that hustle and bustle. So it was uh, June 3rd, 2017. And it was a really warm summer's evening. And me and my wife were at home and we were just watching television. We had the windows wide open because it was a warm evening. And all of a sudden we could hear outside what sounded like a fight, right? So there was like a fight that broke out. So we were being nosy. We just went and leaned out the window and we were watching this fight. And it was just two, two guys having a bit of a scuffle. The police turned up. They said, look, you go that way, you go that way. And it was like, that's it. We didn't hear anything else of it. But what we did was we just decided to just watch the world go by, right? It was a lovely warm summer's evening. We're leaning out the window. We're just watching the market. People are happy. People are drinking, having a great time. And then literally out of nowhere, we heard these horrific screams, like horrific, blood-curdling, terrified screams. And our immediate thought was like, oh, the, the fight's happening again. Like this fight. And we were like, whoa, that sounds like... The one guy that went that way has come back with 50 other guys and there's this huge fight that's broken out. But we couldn't quite see what was going on. We were still looking. And then it got louder and louder and louder. And all of a sudden there's like glasses smashing on the floor. There's tables going over and there's people running, like running, hiding under cars, running down into the underground, running off into alleys, like on mass running. And immediately I thought, this is not a fight. Like, this is way worse than a fight. And then we're just out there looking out the window. And all of a sudden, we just see people getting stabbed just by these. We didn't know how many people there were. We didn't know who the attackers were. You don't know what's going on. You haven't got a clue what's going on because it happens like that. People are getting stabbed in the back, in the chest. People getting stabbed in the face. People getting attacked with knives, right? This is what all of a sudden, it's like a war zone out there. People are bleeding out in the street. The attackers are like here, there and everywhere, stabbing people, going crazy. And we're like looking at this thing from a bird's eye view from our apartment in complete and utter shock. So are we watching a movie unfold here? Is this a movie set? We didn't know that they were filming today, which is actually a genuine thought because they do a lot of movies in, in the market. And, and it was like, no, this is, this is an attack. This is an and a, a week before that, I think a month before that, was a huge terror attack in Manchester. So it was on everybody's minds. A, bu- a big bomb went off in Manchester in a, in a Ariana Grande uh, concert mm. in a stadium. And that was on our minds, right? We were like, fuck. So it, we knew it was a terror attack in that moment. And so these guys, they carried on attacking, carried on killing people. And like everyone was running and we were just frozen, didn't know what to do. Until they, they walked down into more into the market where we couldn't see them. And there was this one guy and he, grabbed this like metal chair and he was trying to fight off these attackers like this fucking brave guy he was doing everything he could to try to fight them and they were trying to get at him trying to stab him and he was just sort of fighting them off almost like a lion tamer just like with this with this metal chair and all the police were driving past the attack because what the attackers had done is they'd crashed a van over on London Bridge and they thought that the police thought that's where the attack was happening so all of these police cars were going vroom, 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 like passing the actual attack Mm. to go to London Bridge. This one man, he walked out into the middle of the road. He flagged down one of the police officers and he was like pointing to the the, uh, market. This one police officer understood what he was trying to say, screeched his car round, went down into the market, and then all we heard was all these gunshots, right? Now for us... We, that was like where the nightmare really happened because we didn't know who just got shot. Like, was it the attackers that got shot? Was it the police that got shot? What happened? So I just like slammed the window shut. I went out from the bedroom, went over into the living room. And then there was this one like UK version of like a SWAT officer downstairs. And he shouted up at us and he was like, you need to get out of your apartment now because we think there's a bomb in that pub. Right? So I was like, Oh my God. And a bomb had just gone off in Manchester the sort of month mm. before. I'm like, fuck, 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 fuck. I'm there. I want to protect my wife. I want to sort of protect us. Another SWAT officer says, don't leave your apartment. 
because people are still getting attacked, right? So there's people down the street getting stabbed, but there's also maybe a bomb in the park, which I'm literally standing on, right? So then all of a sudden they're going, no, leave the apartment. Don't leave the apartment, leave the apartment. That went on for about 30 minutes. And I genuinely felt like I was just staring down the barrel of a gun. Like it was like, what? Where? Where will the least amount of impact be? Will it be the sofa? Will it be the kitchen table? Will it be the fucking bed? Right? How? What do I need to do? Do I need to fucking grab some clothes? Do I, how do I protect my wife? Do I need to fucking grab a knife protect myself? So anyway, eventually, after that just horrible situation of back and forward, back and forward, I felt like a bomb could. And also, you're standing on top of it, and you're like, this could just go off any minute if there is one in there. And then eventually. Eventually, this little like bomb robot went into the pub and they were like get out of your flat now so anyway i walked we went out into the hallway and i thought there could be an attacker in the hallway like one of them could have got in and i was just like i opened up the door really fucking slowly and i had my wife behind me and we were like walking through the hallway i looked down the stairs walked down the stairs and as soon as i opened up the front door this police officer was like, run, just run in that direction as fast as you can. So we literally ran all the way from Southwark Bridge to Blackfriars Bridge in London. And, we, and then we were in this crowd of about a thousand people. And that, mate, was horrible because there's like people are talking, oh, apparently there's another attacker that they didn't catch. Mm. Apparently there's an attack over at London Bridge. Apparently there's more of them. And you just think any moment someone could just start, could pull a knife out and start attacking you. So me and my wife were like back to back and we were like, let's watch each other's backs. And we didn't know what to do, mate. Couldn't go anywhere. Couldn't jump in a cab. Just that everything was locked off. And eventually this one guy came to us and he was like, look, where have you come from? I said, we've come from Borough Market. And he said, look, I'm a, I'm a news reporter. I report on stuff like this all the time. And I can tell you right now, you're not going to be going home for a really long time. And so he let us stay at his apartment that night, which was down the road, which was really nice of him. And, wow. and about... Ten, we couldn't go home for 10 days. The police kicked our door down. They flipped our bed upside down. They flipped us so because they were just looking for like anything. So we went half, still got videos now. I'll have to show you that like, we went home to like a smashed up apartment. And, and you know what, mate, like what you were talking about before, mindset played a, has played a huge role in my life since June 3rd, 2017. Because every day I'm needing to reframe everything. It would have been, it'd be so easy for me to hate and to judge mm. and to generalize. And you know what? Uh, what? What did you say a minute ago? What are the three things you don't do? Blame, complain, and justify. Now, could you imagine how much blaming, complaining, yeah. and justification I could have had after that, after seeing that? Mm. And I utterly refused to do that. Like I could have hated so much. I could have blamed. I could have complained. I could have justified horrible actions or hatred. And I just knew that there was absolutely no way that was the path I was going to go down. So I was coaching my wife through it, coaching myself through it. And, uh, and it's, and 100% mate it is coaching that's allowed us to come out the other end of that and still now be completely okay. Because we saw some horrible stuff, mate, that night, some awful things. And uh, coaching mindset, that's, that's the thing that's allowed us to get through it. Fucking hell. That is intense. Um, wow. <laughs> I, I, I could only imagine, you know, and, and one thing, like what I love about you is, is you're saying how um, you're, you're want to create like coaching so mainstream, like everyone has a coach like a, like a personal trainer. And I so believe that. Like I, I think, you know, because three things like that, I, I have a coach, right? Like I think like you look at you look at the best, you look at Michael Jordan, right? Did he have a coach? Of course. Tiger Woods, did he have a coach? Absolutely. If you want to be like, I think that's what, you know, everything comes down to decisions. Everything comes down to choices, conversations with ourselves, right? That's what I'm getting from this. You know, right then you were saying the crowd of thousands of people and you're asking yourself conversations like, you know, what am, what am I going to focus on right now? Where am I focusing? What am I going to make this mean? Because if we can, we make things mean everything. We can make it mean we can blame, complain, justify. This means this. Do I live in a dangerous neighborhood now? Um, you know, all these things, right? So it comes down to conversations and it's, it's just so important to, to have someone else there as, as like seeing your blind spots and helping you through things and, like I, I like you're the first person ever mentioned that we should have a coach that's like a personal trainer. It just makes so much freaking sense because there's so many things like because I 
I sit and coach myself through stuff all the time, but then I speak with my coach and he says things. I'm like, I, I know this bit because you've said it like, yeah, yeah, true. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's so freaking important. Yeah, definitely. And that's so how, how did you, this is, this is, um, what are some actionable things then? Because I was, I was having this conversation with a friend the other day. Cause I'm like, like there's been moments of, um, you know, like I, I was, uh, one time in Mexico, I was stabbed in Mexico. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, you know, and then another time we were in Mexico and our house got broken into, you know, and this was literally my reaction. We, I get woken up at 5am from my girlfriend at the time and she opens up the door. Like she, it was super hot in Mexico, right? Super hot 5am and we're working out, we're sweating. Like, why is it so hot here? It should be the, the AC should be on. And she goes out and she puts her hand through the curtain and the door was open. She freaked out, comes and wakes me up. Wake up, wake up. Like, you know, we've been broken into. And then I get up out of bed and I go, oh, what weird. Okay. I look around and my laptop has been stolen. And then I just go, oh, shit, my laptop's stolen. Close the door. It's freaking hot now. I'm going back to sleep. She's freaking out. She's freaking out. I'm like, relax. There's no one here right now. There's nothing I can do about this right now. I'm tired. I'm sweating. Close the door, please. Uh, you know, and, you know, of course, I was compassionate for her. I was, you know, like, it's okay. It's all okay. But I just chose those conversations in my head at the time. It's like an event happened. Event happened. The, the stabbings, the, the terror attack, that all happened. And it's okay. like what, what follows the event is the story we're going to attach to it. And we're going to make it mean something crazy. And, or we can make it mean that nothing means nothing and, and, and continue. Right. But so right. many people, so I was having this conversation with a friend the other day and she had some, some break-ins in her house. Mm-hmm. And cause she, she's a bit like fearful, like thinking that this might happen again, which is so common. Right. Sure. And we're just having this conversation around this. So what are some things that you see that people have gone through trauma in their life or something crazy like this, right. That they still carry through to their, day now how can they kind of break free from that and and stop letting it uh you know create anxiety or create fear in their life now it's a great question mate it's a great question and and in many respects what we have to do is put it on a scale you know to respect everybody put it on a scale we could be talking about things that are quite small that could be overcome relatively easily and we could be talking about really deep traumatic experiences and we have to be respectful of all of them and also respectful of the fact that everybody processes information totally differently what we can do is help right like you said one of the things you don't do is we we don't judge me and you Morgan, we don't judge and if someone has had an experience that they're really struggling with that they can't overcome we won't judge them for that we'll try to help them through it so regardless of where they are on that scale first and foremost honestly my answer is hire a coach get a coach get someone who is skilled in the medium of coaching or neuro-linguistic programming or some form of medium that will help you understand that situation and overcome it understand it and overcome it and the reason why that's so important are three words right and you touched on one of them there with your story in mexico and you got broken into into you chose you chose to focus on going back to sleep because that's what you could do in that moment you could control that you chose not to focus on all of this other crazy shit that you had no control over in that moment, right? Choice is significant. Let's never underestimate the power of being able to make a choice. The second word, which is similar to choice, but there's just like slight differences, decision. I absolutely love the word decision. I think decision is quite possibly my favorite word in the whole English language and whatever it translates to in any other languages because a human decision is one of the most powerful things in the world. When you have made a firm decision, it is very difficult to shake that. It's difficult to break it. It's difficult to, for that to, to be vulnerable, right? You know what it feels like when you're just like, no, that's it. I've made a decision and you've decided to do something. Once you've decided to do something, there's no stopping you. You're going to do it, right? Choice and decision, right? Choice and decision, they're significant. And the third word is ownership just understanding what you can take ownership over. Now, there's, there's, a, 
to help. And this is what a coach will do with someone. They will get them to understand their choices, their decisions, their ownership, what they do have influence over rather than what they don't have influence over. Because what people tend to do is when they find themselves in that situation where they've experienced something bad and they replay it and they relive it again and again and it has a hold over them, what they're doing is they're deciding, even though it's unconsciously or subconsciously deciding, but they are deciding because we're making decisions all the time, they're deciding to focus on the parts of that journey that they don't have influence over, that they don't have any control over. Yeah. And that is utterly useless, mate. It's pointless to us focus on that stuff. There's a really, um, there's a, there's an incredible book, very famous self-development book that's gone through the ages called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's like a fucking, it's like the Bible of yeah. self-development books. And Stephen Covey, the guy who wrote the book, he talks about your circle of influence, right? Understanding what is inside my circle of influence, i.e. what do I have control over? understanding what's outside of your circle of influence and making a decision that you're not going to give that stuff a second thought because what's the point all you'll do is you'll dwell on it you'll think about it you'll overthink it and you can't change it so why even bother why give it the focus and love and attention that you could be giving to, to that stuff that's inside your circle of influence that day for you in mexico did you have control over being able to just get your laptop back and and you know not and and, and chain rewind time so you didn't get broken into? No, yeah, you don't. And worry about worry about do I, should I have locked the door? Should I have checked? And yeah, yeah, exactly, mate. And worrying about all of that stuff. Should I have checked? Should I have locked the door? Can I get my laptop back? All of this stuff that's outside your circle of influence does not deserve your attention or your focus because you don't have any control over it. But what you did is you decided to focus on the things you did have control over and therefore your mindset, your feelings, your emotions, they're a lot more useful. That's a, it's another good thing to think about in the world of coaching. In coaching, we don't, off, we, don't, we don't talk about whether things are good or bad, right or wrong, true or false. We say, are they useful mm. or not useful? That's really what it all comes down to. If you started running around that apartment like a fucking headless chicken, panicking, like tearing the place up, worrying, sweating, thinking, oh my God, we've been broken into. Right, we're not going to judge whether that's right or wrong, good or bad, true or false, but we are going to ask the question, is it useful? The answer, of course, would be no. That, that wouldn't be useful for you. In that moment, to be fair, the most useful thing you could probably do is close the door, stop the draft from coming in and go back to sleep. And that's exactly <laughs> what you did. You did the most useful thing. So that's a big question we all need to be asking ourselves. Is it useful or not useful? If it's useful, do more of it. If it's not useful, stop. That's so powerful because I think when people focus on good or bad, right or wrong, it can lead to, so let's say if they think, so let's say reframe the situation where I could have, far out, I'm such an idiot. I should have locked the freaking door. I should have checked the doors. We're in Mexico, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it'd create like a, this self like pity party of, you know, when now we're talking to ourselves of things that we can't control anymore. Like we should have done this, could have done this. I, you know, like, so that, that's why I love those words, useful or not useful. It's incredible. Um, dude, what's the, the, the coaching masters all about? You know, you guys have got the membership thingies where people can jump on and get so much value in there. Like I'm in there, I'm watching tons of those videos and it's, it's freaking crazy. There's so much value in there. Do you guys, you want to talk a bit about what all this is about? Yeah, definitely mate. So, we are all about giving people an opportunity, like providing freedom to people. We always say that coaching masters, we give ordinary people. And when I say ordinary people, I'm talking about me, I'm talking about Lewis, I'm talking about yourself. We're, we're all ordinary people. We give ordinary people extraordinary tools to create freedom for themselves and others. That is the whole premise of the coaching masters. You've touched on as well earlier that, and this is like a real, I've been thinking about this for years, that I want to make coaching as fashionable as having a personal trainer. No one will have any problem telling you that they've got a personal trainer. It's like a badge of honor, right? Something's fashionable. It's something to show off. And that personal trainer is helping that person develop their body, which is great. That's mm. brilliant. We should do that. But at the same time, why do we not have those personal trainers for our mind, for our mindset, our thoughts, our feelings? And that is a coach. So I want everybody to have a coach as well as having a personal trainer. So what we do is, we try to make this as accessible to everybody as possible. 
And we do that with the Coaching Masters membership. It's just a $47 a month membership. And inside the membership, it teaches people how to become a coach, how to get paying clients if they want to obviously take that profession seriously, how to develop skills in neuro-linguistic programming, even all the way down to like how to run Facebook ads as a coach. What legal documentation do you need? You know, there's business balance training, like Reiki training. There's all of this stuff that we want to make sure that people have in order to be able to maximize the opportunity of becoming a coach just for $47 a month. It's like I said earlier, it doesn't even necessarily need to be for those people that want to become a coach full time and quit their job. The coaching skills that I teach in that membership are the exact same skills that got me through that terror attack Mm. that allow me to thrive every day, even through the face of adversity again and again. Mate, I fucking, I've got all the fucking golden stars for adversity, right? (laughs) I've fucking seen them all. I've been there, badge, got got the t-shirt, right? But every single one of them, I know I can overcome. And I know that I'll thrive eventually, but it's only because... I walk my talk and I do the coaching techniques that I teach in the membership area. So mate, as far as I'm concerned, it's just a, it's a life changer because yeah. what we're doing is we're giving people the, the manual to their brain, we're teaching people how to actually operate this thing in order to be able to maximize their life all within this $47 a month membership. I'm, I'm glad you're enjoying it, mate. I'm glad you're enjoying the content. It's cool, you know, because like to, to get, um, to get a proper coach and someone who's actually knows their shit, sometimes it's out of people's budget at first. And what I love about this is there's so much value in there for people to get at wickedly affordable price, like 50 bucks a month is stupid for to, to get how much stuff's in there, you know, to start learning. And like you're saying, even if you don't want to become a coach yourself, I still think these skills, like this is, they should teach you stuff in freaking school. They teach, they teach normal intelligence and then they give you like a score telling you how successful you'd be there. But they don't teach emotional intelligence, you know, Absolutely. and uh, Absolutely. Th- this, this stuff's super important. So that's why I'm a, that's why I love what you guys do. Um, just getting all this out to people. Um, we almost got all the way to the end of the episode without hearing about this Batman story. And uh, there's a, this, there's some Batman story that I haven't heard that is apparently funny. And I'd love to hear it. <laughs> The weirdest experience of my life, mate. The weirdest experience of my life. Picture this, right? I'm, I'm, I'm 20 years old. I've been acting for one year and I've just done some plays, right? I've done a, a tiny, tiny little bit of television, right? Some short films. I've done majority plays. I'd only been acting for a year. So it was the summer between... Uh, performing arts college and drama school, right? And I was like, okay, right. So let's um, for some beer money over summer. I didn't have any money whatsoever. I was like, I'll, I'll do some background work. Right? I'll do some extra work because I was like, you know what? It's easy money. You know, it's kind of still there in the acting world a little bit. And you know, oh, fuck it, I'll go and do some like background stuff. So anyway, I I, I ended up getting invited to this uh, this this casting for what I thought was just like to be an extra in this movie, right? I didn't have any idea what the movie was. So I turned up, there's fucking about a hundred guys in this room and everyone kind of like sort of looks similar. And this woman walks out and she's like, oh, by the way, everybody, you're all here, of course, to be background artists in this one movie, except for you, Liam. You're here for something different. And I was like, what the fuck? And so I, I pretended I knew what she was talking about. And I just looked at her and I nodded and I was like, yeah, thanks. Cheers. Cheers. And what I had done when I arrived, they make you fill out this document where you fill in the uh, physical dimensions of your body. And when I was 20, I was like really into bodybuilding, right? I've lost about, I've lost multiple stones. I was like really big and bulky at the time. It was like a real passion of mine. And I've been bodybuilding since I was about 17 up until 20. And I was like really stocky. And because I was into bodybuilding, I knew every little millimeter of my physical dimensions, right? Literally like forearm, bicep, tricep, quadricep, blah, blah, blah. I filled it all in. They took me into this room and they said, right, basically, your physical dimensions are exactly the same as one of our lead actors and he needs a body double. They were like, we can't tell you what the film is because it's too much of a big deal, but I'm going to ask you two questions. One, are you willing to completely shave your head? And two, are you free for the next six months? And I was like, yes, 
they were like, trust, I had like a holiday booked. They were like, cancel your holiday because trust us, this is going to be worth it. And I was like, brilliant. I went to like audition after audition after audition. They were getting me to do all of this movement work. They were getting me to do all this crazy shit. And I didn't even know what I was auditioning from. Till eventually I went to this one movie studio in London called Elstree Studios. I walked in and I looked around this office and there was all blueprints on the wall of like the Batcave, Gotham City, Bane's Lair. And I was like, fuck, it's going to be Batman. And this one guy came out and he was like, Liam, you've really impressed us. We'd like you to be the body double for Bane for the next six months on The Dark Knight Rises. And I was like, oh my God. Literally the next day... I was on set and we filmed in this place called Cardington in Bedford, which is like this big hollow aircraft hangar. I was on set, completely shaved head in full Bane costume. And they were like, right, go that way. I walked through the set and it was in this big aircraft hangar. I walk up all these stairs. I literally walk out into, into Bane's prison. And there's Christian Bale like laying down on his bed. It's Tom Hardy like pacing up and down. And there's Christopher Nolan giving them direction. And it's just me. Like, it's just the four of us in this one room. And I'm like, standing there thinking, I'm a fucking 20-year-old actor. Like, this is the biggest thing ever. And they were like, oh, Liam, brilliant. We've been waiting for you. I worked solidly with Tom Hardy for six months. Like, it was this funny thing where it's like, he would step out, I would step in. He would step out, I'd step in. And it's for, like, various different reasons. Like, I would step in and they'd organise all the lighting. Sometimes there would be, like, a big scene where they only needed to see, like, his back or shoulder and he could go and do something else. And, uh, and I did that for six months, mate. It was like, I spent every day with Tom Hardy, Morgan Freeman, Michael Caine, Christian Bale, Anne Hathaway. Like, it was like the fucking who's who of the best actors in the world. And I just absorbed it every single day. But get this, when I became a postman and it all came fucking crashing down, I genuinely delivered Tom Hardy's post every day. And he lived in <laughs> So I literally went from working with him side by side for six months, the, one of the greatest experiences of my life, to delivering his post. And I was like, what the fuck has happened, mate? What has happened here? And that was when I just felt like I was just, that was at a point where I was like, I'd hit rock bottom and I was like, I need to do something different. I need to change my life. But mate, it was, it was honestly, that six months was probably the greatest experience ever. It was so amazing. That's freaking awesome. I love that. And, and change your life. You've done exactly that. And, you know, ah, it's so cool, dude. This has been amazing. So much value. I know everyone listening to this is probably just like, I think if they're driving their car, they probably pulled over to listen to the, the story of the terror attack. Um, this has just been amazing, man. Where, where can everybody find you on social media, your podcast and everything like that? Mate, thank you for asking. I appreciate it. So yeah, go on to go on to iTunes or go on to Spotify and it is the Prisoner and the Postman podcast. And yeah, it's obvious for obvious reasons I'm the postman and my business partner Lewis <laughs> used to be a prisoner. He spent a few years in prison and that's where he discovered coaching. And that's where he completely changed his life around and you know, he's an incredible guy with a great story. And so on Spotify or podcast, go on to the Prisoner and the Postman podcast. And uh, yeah, if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's at Liam, I think it's Liam.James.Collins. I'm not even sure. It might be just Liam James Collins. Let's check it out. I don't, I'll, I don't even I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll put it in the description for everybody on this episode. Yeah, man, for sure. Figure it out. I've just... And, and the, uh, the your coaching masters, all that, will throw in a, um, a link to, so people can check that out too. Yeah, 100%, mate. Yeah, throw in a link so people can check out the website, so people can check out the membership, of course. Like, without a shadow of a doubt, that is going to be one of the best things that people can do. Absorb the knowledge, absorb the content. Those coaching skills, that mindset skill, the neuro-linguistic programming stuff, everything has allowed me to thrive through all of this craziness. We teach it in the membership. So, yeah, Morgan, throw up a link to that get people to come and join the membership as well. Just come and check us out. And my Instagram is at liam.james.collins. If you want to <laughs> shoot me a message, I'll always shoot you a message back. Love it, dude. This has been so awesome. Um, you guys definitely have to go and check all that stuff out. All right, Liam, to wrap this episode up, I'm going to ask you one last question. Are you ready? Go for it, mate. Go for it. If you were to go back to your 18-year-old self, and give yeah. him 30 seconds of advice, what would it be? It would be stop 
caring what other people think and it would also be a little secret message that I would send to him a little coded message that only we would get and I would say by the way that thing you're right about that so run with it <laughs> that's all I'm saying on that right I'll tell him to stop thinking worrying about what other people think and that thing that he's thinking about he is right about that so just go for it thank you so much for listening guys if you know anyone else who is as passionate for life as they are successful then please send them my way i'd absolutely love to have them on the show as zig ziglar says if you help enough people get what they want in life you'll have everything you want so that's why each month i'm choosing one lucky person who has left a review to have a free private 30-minute coaching call with me so guys if you got some value or inspiration from this it goes such a long way if you can just take 10 seconds and leave a five-star review and you'll go in the draw to win the call and if you could share this with a friend i would be forever grateful until next time guys i've got your back go out and dream out loud